Hey guys, Martin here. Um, just a forewarning, there's some background noise in the episode you're about to listen to. Um, it was recorded at the May conference at Meadow Ridge Bible Chapel, and uh, the room we recorded in was back kind of where they do like their um, the younger kids stuff, the Sunday school classes and whatnot. So you'll hear a little bit of extra noise um, in the audio from the kids running around and doing stuff. We did remove a lot of the more distracting stuff, but just be aware, that's a thing. Um, I hope it's not too distracting, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So thank you for listening, and here we go. I've been running in circles, jumping the herd. Welcome to Afterthoughts, where I pursue the realities in Christianity through God's Word and different conversations. It is my confident belief that our views shape the way we live, so having views grounded in reality is super important. At the end of it all, it is my heart's deepest desire that you and myself would be seeking peace and joy in what Christ Jesus has done. Welcome back to The Conversation, everybody. It's your brother, Martin Trumbull, here again with my good pals, Jason Pettis. Hello. And Caleb Bulo. Good to see you. It is good to see you. And today, I was thinking we could talk about um, free, 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 uh, the free gift of salvation and spiritual gifts. And uh, the thing, really, that was uh, that is on my mind is um, the fact that there it's called a gift. So, like, obviously, we have salvation is referred to as a gift. And then we have spiritual gifts, and uh, usually a gift is free, or that's what a gift is. And yet, when you have, it, it, there seems to be this, um, this message that like, okay, once you get this gift, though, it's not actually free because there's strings attached to it. Like, there's an obligation to, like, if you have a spiritual gift and you're not exercising it, like, you're a poor steward of what the Lord has given you. And, like, that's really a no-no. And so it feels like there's these, like, I don't know, expectations that come along with it. And so it's like, well, if that's the case, why is it called a gift if it's really not? Or is there some flaw or fallacy that's going on in there that's making it confusing? Um, yeah. So what do you think? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I was hoping you had the answer right off the bat there, Jason. <laughs> uh, the first thought that comes to mind... Uh, with that would be um, when you accept the free gift of salvation, if we would focus on that part first, because I think it's got a really interesting little logical backbending that you're, that you're presenting with all of that stuff. But when, when you're presented with this idea of salvation, you, you realize, I mean, part of the, all the, the whole gospel message is that um, as a, when you look inside yourself, you're lost, you're broken, you're not able to figure out whether there is a God or not and where he is and what he is and all this stuff. And you uh, you can't be who you want to be, right? We all struggle with that thing of we're falling short of who we want to be. We're, we're never what we want to be. And so there's this internal yearning that we're supposed to be more than what we are or something different than what we are. And I think that's a God-given thing, mm -hmm. a God-given desire. And so then this, the free gift of salvation is coming to the faith that, um, that the Lord Jesus died for that so that you could become what he wants you to be. And what you, I mean, this is, you have to color in between the lines a little bit here, but 
He's, he died to transform you into the person who you want to be, but it's not necessarily who you, just whoever you want to be. You don't get to be whatever you want to be. It's, it's who you would want to be if you were really thinking carefully and if you were wise and kind and compassionate, who you would want to be in your wisest state. That's who mm. he wants to turn you into. And so when you accept the free gift of salvation, you're saying, the way that I was going about all of that life stuff didn't work. It doesn't work. It actually leads to destruction and death and darkness, and I don't want that anymore. I want what he has for me. And then the, the forgiveness that comes when you come to faith is a completely free gift. But you can see if you really have that mindset, the next step is then, well, I want to move more into what what I'm <laughs> move more away from what I came to him in the first place for and more toward what he's calling me into because that's who I want to be and that's what I want to do. And so then you, I think maybe part of the question would be if someone, like, do I have to do that? Mm-hmm. And then the, so then the answer would be like, don't you want to do that when you yeah. think about it? I mean, isn't the step of faith that led you to get saved in the first place also also prompting you to want to get more of whatever the thing is that he gave you in the first place? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a, that's a thought I thought. I think that's a mm. that's how we want to be appealed to. Let's put it that way, so that you know, when somebody tells me you need to live your Christian life a better, or you need to do these things to better live your Christian life, what uh, what, what I want is the appeal of it, like this. I, there was I, we were in a Bible study and there was a guy that was talking about how we need to love one another and that type of thing. But the way he presented it, he put it in the context of the Lord's humility and how the Lord lowered Himself to wash His disciples' feet, and how that was a a real glorification of the Son because He was showing His true character and His humility, and in His care for the disciples. And he said, you know, this is what the Lord wants us to do is to love one another. And when he put it in the context of the Lord, it made you almost want to do that type of thing. Mm. But I think sometimes we experience it where somebody says, you know, you're not doing this. You you need to get on the ball. You need to start living in this particular way. And sometimes we kind of resent somebody telling me what I ought to do type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that resent? Why is Why do we resent that? Like what's going on? Is that an issue on our part we need to look at or? Yeah, I okay. mean that's but that's it is the uh, nature of the flesh, you know, is that we always want to resent the law. We don't want to do what we're told to do, even if it makes sense. Which is yeah, weird. it's it's the Romans seven principle, and it, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a neat thought that we heard from the conference that we're at when he said, "If you don't have Romans right, how did he put it? If you don't." Um, you don't have Romans right. You don't have anything right, or something like that. It, uh, it wasn't quite that broad, but it was. <laughs> it was doctrinally. If if you want to be doctrinally sound, know the book of Romans, and then you'll. Uh, I think that's that's true. Mm-hmm. And Romans seven has that passage where um, Paul is is identifying in him is the flesh, like. Before I knew, was it is it envy is the one mentioned or something like that uh, covetous yeah, yeah covetousness yeah before I knew that coveting was wrong I didn't really care I was like whatever I'm not super covetous and then when the law came and said thou shalt not covet all of a sudden the covetousness rises up inside of me <laughs> and he uses that to say that's part of who I am that's the the human nature yeah. the, the nature of the flesh to when you tell me not to do something 
oh yeah, I want to do it. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely the flesh. Now I think on the other end, so yes, the answer is we should be on guard for that. On the other hand, someone who wants to be a spiritual leader should also know that's kind of part of the dynamic that's going on here. And mm. it's, uh, can we use the, um, can we draw people to Christ instead of get behind them and, and whack them with the sticks? My right. college... It can sound very legal or lawful to say, this is how you ought to live. And it's like, well, isn't the law what Jesus delivered us from? So, But then there is the truth of like, well, yeah, there, but there still is that right. And I don't know, that's a weird bounce. I had a couple... When I was a sophomore in college, my roommate had this observation because he grew up on a farm and he said, um, you know, in scripture, we're talked about as sheep. And he says... When you want, a good shepherd leads sheep. He's out in front of them, and the sheep follow where he's going. You can't lead pigs, he said. <laughs> pigs have to be forcefully driven. you got to get behind them and whack them with sticks. And so now, which approach should we use in the church? Now, I mean, there's, mm. there's a dynamic thing going on there, yeah. but to get behind somebody and start whacking them with pigs, or whacking them like pigs to drive them where you think they should be going— how about you lead by example? And you turn around and say, hey, how about we go this way? I know hmm. it, it, there's nuance in that, right? Because uh, there are times to rebuke sharply, like Titus right. says. And but yeah, Titus is what we're going at. Like, that's what Titus feels like. That's yeah. what I was noticing the other yeah. day, the first chapter. Is it's like he's saying them, uh, what did he say about the Cretans? They're lazy. And they're like, and he said, rebuke them sharply. Yeah. So there is... And, a sense of obligation seems like in the New Testament itself, like it tells us we ought to live these certain ways and so forth. And how does that work then if the New Testament has given us that command, but it's supposed to be a free gift? Yeah. And how does that fit together? And I, 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 I guess a passage that comes to mind is I think in Second Corinthians, where Paul is talking about how. Okay, verse 14 of Second Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So Paul presents a real, sen a real sense of obligation in that he died for us, and so, and so our life should be for him. We should die, for our, uh, die to ourselves. But, That's but, tough. I know, yeah. <laughs> But I th so, oh, and ahead. I just want to develop this a little bit. Like, the reality to catch here is that he died for us in the sense that we were going to die, and there was nothing we could do to deliver ourselves. So we are. It's it's not like a birthday gift that he gives us the gift of salvation. Like here you go, you've got a gift now, and you can use it however you want. It's more like you were going to die, and if somebody didn't step in and deliver you, you were lost forever. And so he stepped in and saved you from death, died for you, mm -hmm. and. When we realize our obligation that we had because of our sin, that death was our due, for him to deliver me out of death, there is that moral obligation, but it's one that kind of comes out of gratitude type of thing. Sometimes we forget our gratitude and yeah. we forget that we're supposed that we that he did this for us. And so it seems like the scripture wants to remind us, like, hey. You remember what he did for you? Remember how you were doomed for death and he died for you? That's be grateful, man. Not just in that passage, but in most of the epistles, if you we we really tend to focus this is true for a general Bible study thing, I think, is when you're going through the epistles, we tend to focus on the things that we're supposed to do 
in the passages, and we sort of gloss over the things that are almost the the why and the mm-hmm. how. Yeah. Because you could take a book like the book of Ephesians. Ephesians has a lot to do say about what you should do and all this, but it's actually in the second half of the book. Right. And the first half of the book, it's chapter one of Ephesians, is just about the riches of what Christ has done and what he's given to us. And I really think that's the the why and the how. And once he's settled this thing of we're wrapped up with the Lord and seeing and in, in a worshipful position towards him of, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe he did all this and he's given me all of these things and here's who he is and how much he loves. And then it goes into, so let's act in this way and don't and stop doing these things. Most of the epistles have mm-hmm. some a lot of context before they start driving behavioral changes into you. And I think that's true. And I think we need to reflect that more in how we deal with one another, because uh, we just want to go straight to duty. And and you should notice that in your own Bible study to note like how much do your eyes just sort of drift to what you ought to do? Yep, yep. Yeah. Right through the um, why, right through the whys and the hows. Yep. Which means that you're basically setting up a legal system from the New Testament by filtering out all of the the, the power yeah. and just giving us the duties. And I've noticed that too in Bible studies that I'm a part of that. That's exactly how it is. Everyone mm-hmm. goes right to, oh, this verse is just really telling us how I ought to live yeah. my life this way. And I just, my friends and I, well, m- mainly my friends just don't do that. And like, I don't know, like, I feel like this is like, and then we get all legal and stuff and good Christian. And I, and I think part of the reason we drift that way too, maybe is because like everyone kind of know the message that the church is not where it ought to be. I mean, I don't know. That's been around forever. Everybody knows that. And so like, especially when you're like, in my like my age college age the kids who are starting to like take their faith seriously maybe they're coming to the lord actually or whatever else they're trying to be more serious and they're like man something's wrong here like you're right the church is in shambles and like our eyes are like opened and then we're like why oh it's because christians don't live like christians so it's like this mm-hmm. is what we ought to do to live the right way so the lord will be pleased with us and so the church will no longer be in shambles because there's something wrong here and i think maybe that's part maybe a reason too why our eyes drift that way but and i'd say it's like it's right but it's also you haven't got to the root of the issue yet. yeah it's oh, like you're why is a symptom the yep, symptom why is, is the, the church like this it's like we've lost sight of the worship and adoration of christ and appreciate mm. and genuine appreciation for what he's done and even when you say that worship admiration is like those are big words like i'm like oh there's so many what do you mean like and that's exactly it we don't know what that means like well, because I feel like I, big, heavy spiritual words that spiritual people use. Like, yeah, and I appreciate Jason bringing it up. The worship and adoration. I mean, adoration is we've touched on that because we, we've talked about what the Lord has done for us and laying down His life for us, and that produces adoration. But then there's a sense of worship as well. Uh, and in that same chapters of Second Corinthians, chapter five, he says, in verse nine, we therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust are well known to your consciences. And you notice how he's got that concept there, the judgment seat of Christ. We've got to give account for what we've done to God, and also how he talks about the terror of God. And that's where worship comes in when we recognize who God is. It doesn't make sense for me to go live my life any old way I want to. There's 
I've got an obligation as somebody who is created by God to live according to how he wants me to do it. So there's that attitude of worship, but then also, like Jason was bringing up, that the uh, adoration, just that remembering what he did for me and how he delivered me from judgment uh, makes me want to. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Caleb sent me a link, uh, and I want to share an illustration that was shared in this one because it's really good. Because okay, anyone who's listening has some sort of subject of interest that they have to them, some some sort of thing in 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 the world that they they really like. Hopefully, there's some sort of hobby or something like that. And imagine that you're into cars, right? And uh, someone comes up to you and says, "Oh man, there was this really sweet car that drove by. Oh really? What well, what was what was great about it?" Well, it was just really something. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, what, what, what was it? Well, you know, I mean, it drove by, and it had, <laughs> it had four wheels, and there was somebody in it, and it was making a noise. It's like, did you read? What, like, what was so sweet about this car? Like, what are you talking about? Someone who really appreciated that car is going to say, oh, man, the way the sound that it made, it was just so finely tuned. You could t-. And they're going to go into details about what they appreciated. Yeah about that car and now because and and now believers can follow it's like is there something that you've seen in god's word that like wow did you know that god is like this and you get into something that's a detail that you haven't seen before or that you're just really admiring and appreciating and you verbalize that to somebody i think that's what we're we're getting at with some of those things and i'm trying to Give an example because the example that this other this this message used was the example of like you could train your parrot to say, "Wow, God is good and He really loves us," and your parent your parrot not your parent your parrot <laughs> could say that over and over again. But pretty soon you're like, the parrot doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just yeah. saying the same thing that he's heard over and over again. There's nothing genuine or authentic mm-hmm. about it. And sometimes I think our our worship, you know, it can can be like that that we're regurgitating the same phrases but it's not that our hearts are like like a person who's really into cars and they see a really nice hot rod or a lambert like a lamborghini drive by and like oh my goodness look at that car that mm-hmm. is, and having detailed explanations about what they think is so cool about it mm-hmm. yeah. and i think if where worship starts to f- to falter to where it's just repetitive then our obedience is going to be in the same kind of area like we're going to just do it because we've always done it but if we recognize the reality of who God is and what he's done for us that's going to give meaning to our obedience it's kind of like uh you know you get a, a girl who she she gets she meets this guy and she loves him and and she doesn't mind doing his laundry or doing the dishes or you know whatever after you've been married for a few years and she finds out what kind of character he actually is you know sometimes it's a lot more of a burden but then there's sometimes in the married life as she She's going through her drudgery. He does something nice and sweet, maybe flowers or something like that, that reminds her of that that uh, relationship and appreciation, that relationship and that love and so forth. And then all of a sudden, doing things for him is a joy again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we struggle against as Christians is we will do things for God, but sometimes if we forget who he is and, or lose sight of it, not not forget, but lose sight of it, yeah. we who he is and what he's done for us, it takes the the joy of obedience out of using the gifts that he's given and or enjoying the mission that he's given us. 
And wrap that back to your original question. Like, okay, so how is it when the Word of God is charging us to to do right, to use our gifts uh, in a profitable way, how is it not undermining the idea of a free gift? Is because I think it's trying to remind us to go back to that thing. I mean, like the letter to in Revelation to the church in Ephesus. It says, I've got this thing against you. You've left your first love. And he's calling, when they're charging us to do these things, I think the the context of those passages are generally telling us to remember him, who he is, and love him, and move forward into what he's calling us into from from that place. So it's a different Mm -hmm. attitude then. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that sounds like more... Because I've noticed that too in my like in like reading the epistles. I don't know. It probably I don't know if anyone's pointed out to me, but I started to notice and really appreciate the why for stuff, especially right after I got saved. It's like, oh, this is what this means, and like, oh, he says it a little differently in this like letter, and oh, I like, and the why is like he always puts it first, and it's always the longest part of the letter. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep. and then the do is like really quick. It's like, and what I've noticed is like when I'm studying it or when somebody is showing it to me, like Caleb would like, um, I went through Galatians. Um, right after I got saved and chapter five mm-hmm. was like the one, I, the part I liked, but it was like, you go through that and you see the setup, the why this is what Christ has done for us. It's like, man, like I'm totally forgiven. Like I'm totally free. Like I don't have to carry the burden of doing what's right anymore. Like now mm-hmm. I, the anxiety mm-hmm. of messing up is removed. Like if I screw something up, it's okay. Cause like the Lord has paid for my sin. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm freed from anxiety. So I have the liberty to move forward into doing what's right because I have nothing to lose literally. And so when I had read that context and understood that, going into the the do's, if you will, are like way more easy to hear. It's like, oh, this isn't like a legalistic, like you have to do this or else. Like the scriptures don't say that, I don't think. They don't say Mm -hmm. like, if you don't, you're a terrible Christian. They just say do. And that's something, Caleb, you pointed out to me once. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's true. So it's like, like I'm motivated. So it just gives me, okay, that motivation that the spirit is cultivated into your heart, you want to channel it. You want to know what to do, right? Because like, say you're reading, like, here's what you can do. Like, pursue these things. Like, don't worry about like pushing down and suffocating the wrong. Pursue what's right. Like, everyone wants to be like a generous person. Like, there's something satisfying about giving something to somebody else and seeing it just light up their world. Like, mm-hmm. the, like to being loving and kind. That's something like I want anyway. And especially after reading about how the 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 opposite to that virtue is uh like forgiven now i'm free to pursue the virtue itself anyway that's really good i think and what i hear you saying is before the scriptures tell you what to do it equips you with what you need to actually do it beforehand or in 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 the context and i think that's true that's a good point yeah that's really good stuff so why don't we go here for a couple seconds um minutes in so in titus like y'all go read titus you'll understand what i'm saying in chapter one you have this like the cretans are lazy like so rebuke them like and that's something i to be honest i don't read like speaker was pointing out how nobody really reads titus or a lot of people overlook it because it's repetitive of timothy but that was like i'm like man how do you do that how do you rebuke like when how do i know when that's appropriate to do that how do you do that because usually when that happens like I, when I've seen it happen, it's always negative, like in a bad way, like it doesn't help or it doesn't seem to help. But this is a context in which there are believers who are saved and a harsh answer is required and would be beneficial for them. 
what might that look like? I have a hard time like seeing a situation. I'll throw out an idea, Caleb, and I'll be curious in your thought about it. I mean, we think of a harsh rebuke as your dad losing his temper and yelling at you. Yeah. True. And man, that's tough, right? And and maybe that's a part of it. But uh, the other thing that we've heard from ty- from as we've from the conference is it, it's it was really the the Cretan culture. The whole culture was messed up, and these people are just doing what the culture is, and they don't know that you're supposed to tell the truth, right? They're uh, Cretans are always liars. liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, is, or slow bellies is how the King James puts it, like whatever that means, right? But they're they're, la- <laughs> they're lying and they're lazy and there are a lot of evil stuff going on. And what I would see that looking like as an introductory is for Titus to lay out, say, here is what the kingdom of God looks like and his righteousness, and here's what we're calling us into. And then to be very emphatic and say, our culture here on Crete, or your culture, if you, is so messed up. It is 180 degrees different. We have to stop these things. We have to be different in these things and turn and be, and follow Jesus and his righteousness and seek first his kingdom on those things. And so that's not necessarily saying, you lazy, evil beast, lazy gluttons, but it's being super emphatic about, like, we need to make a change. Our culture is wrong, and we need to be countercultural in this thing. I, I don't know. What do you think, Caleb? Yeah, I think... That that's a big part of it too is kind of identifying, you know, helping people see that what we're doing is wrong. And, but another thing I was struck with uh, as we've been going through Titus is it seems that there is a real desire that these people turn into something that is praiseworthy, something that you can look up to. And so what yeah, I'm I seeing see. is, a, to me, that's like a heart of love. Like he wants these guys to go up. And so in rebuking them with a heart of love reminds me of interactions that I've had with my kids, whom I, I love a lot. I really enjoy and appreciate them and, and want to see the best in them. And there's been times where they've done things, and I've gone up to them and I said, hey, what, you know, what took place here? What do we got? This is what I've seen happen. Where do you see? And as, they, as we examine the situation, what took place, I was like, so what you did, was that right? Or sometimes I've said, that was wrong. I mean, you, you, I understand the circumstance. I understand why you did it, but it was wrong. You should not have done that. And they, they don't fight me, you know, because I'm, I'm right there talking with them about it, not talking down. I'm not coming down with a hammer. I'm talking with them about it, and I'm pointing out what's wrong, and I'm saying, this is what you did, and it was wrong, and, and you shouldn't do that. Mm. And then we talk about, well, how do you handle that tendency to do that kind of you know what I mean but it's there I don't want to have that sometimes you have that conversation with a little bit of anger like if they've really blown it but you know if I don't want to have that conversation in anger I want to be able to point out what's wrong and then work with them through it and how to not do that again and maybe that's part of what it is it's not I'm not just hitting with a hammer but I'm trying to figure out how do we change yeah because I want what's good you know from them Okay, cool, great, that's awesome. But that's still a straightforward rebuke, you know. We're not sugarcoating it; we're just calling it out for what it is. So yeah, yeah. I've got an example. I could. Okay. I think it goes along with what you're saying. So when first, I, when I first got saved, uh, uh, that next summer I went. I was college age, so I went to a Bible camp, Box D, in the middle of North Dakota. He got this old rancher who's running the camp. Yeah. And um, and we were at a discipleship camp, so you got like I don't. Know, 
eight to ten guys and eight to ten gals, all you know, upper high school, college age, and we're hanging out. And then uh, about halfway through the week, he separates the boys and the girls. So the ladies are talking to some other ladies about you know whatever is more specific to them. And he gets the guys on all the room, and he says, "You guys need to help out around here more. When the trash can fills up." These ladies are seeing that, and they're taking out the trash. And you guys will walk right by it three times and won't even see it. And you should be the ones to do that. You should see that the garbage can's full and take it out. And all of these things, you guys are so oblivious, and you need to open your eyes and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a harsh rebuke, but I didn't. And, and part of it was because I respected him. I held him in very high esteem. He was extremely loving. He's also the person who's my illustration of... Uh, uh, of greeting people in a warm and family way of being so welcoming, like you're part of the family. So then when he said, you need to do this, I, it didn't occur to me to be angry with him. It was mm. like, he's right. I need to change. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, it, it wasn't even a thought to be upset with him. I just wanted to change my, and it wasn't a hard thing to change, take out the trash or <laughs> do, do something helpful. That wasn't like uh, super hard. It was just, opening up my eyes and it, because he said it strongly it, op- it it definitely made an impact in a in a, in a positive way mm. yeah I, I think that's a good example yeah that's a, that's definitely been a thing for me too now that i'm thinking like somebody with a good reputation or like that i have a hard time finding fault with and not that they do everything right but or not that they don't do anything wrong but they do some things really right like really well like loving people people who have like that reputation i like like what you said, I've had a few people like point out things in my life before I got saved. Like there was somebody who was like, man, you have this issue and it's hurting you and it's hurting people around you. And I don't want to be around you because of it. And because they were like a kind person and like, I really liked them. I didn't think about like, I, I like, I didn't even consider if I was wrong. Like I, I like, I broke down crying. I was like, man, you're right. Like I'm terrible. Yeah. And it yeah. led me, that was actually a step that the Lord used to lead me in, in the direction nice. of actually being nice. saved. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, I think we're out of time. we got a session starting here at Meadow Ridge Bible ses- uh, Chapel in a couple minutes. So, good talk, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. That was a good one, Martin. Yeah. And we'll catch you guys later. Peace. Later, man. Peace.